Uh, we have a huge treat. Uh, one of your elders, uh, Nate Egger, will be teaching. Uh, I'm going to pray for you. Did I? I got it, brother. I've been doing this for a while now. But uh, so, uh, so Nate will actually uh, be giving a word to us. Praise God. I uh, love this brother. He is such a dear friend um, to me, uh, like a bro. And uh, he has been by, actually, he's a, their family, they have, the, they have the reputation to be able to say that they are the first family to move uh, many years ago, nine years almost now. So, uh, so Nate's going to be bringing a word for us, guys. I want to pray for him and just want to make sure that we are just uh, trusting Christ. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of reading the word. And then Nate will actually, uh, by God's grace, be used uh, to encourage the saints. So. Lord Jesus, I'm just so thankful uh, for Nate and his love for you. Uh, thank you for, man, the, the blessing he's been in my life as a, a brother who just um, loves you, Christ, and encourages me and exhorts me. Lord, I pray um, that the leadership he has shown through your grace in this body would be even exuded right now, Lord, that your spirit will guide him, that the wisdom of God would be coming through him, and that the people of God, myself, all of us included, would be excited and that the word of God would be like honey from a honeycomb and we would see that's good and we want to digest it and be more like you, Christ. So use your son in Jesus' name. Amen. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went out the next day, behold, Two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water the, flock, the father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is God's word. Just stay standing. We're going to pray one more time. Um, okay. So, Eric, just let me know that Rose is headed to the emergency room. So we're going to pray for her as well. Uh, Lord, you are good. Um, Lord, we know that your hand is in Rose's life, Lord. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with her right now, but Lord, would you give her peace? Lord, would you give uh, the doctors who see her in the emergency department wisdom? And Lord, would you bring about healing, Lord, in her? Um, And Lord, would you be with us as we are here, as we are looking into your word, Lord, looking for 
your truth uh, for our lives today and to see also what you were doing in the lives of the Israelites long ago. Yeah, would you be with us here today, Lord? Amen. All right, you can sit down. Uh, so we are in the second chapter, second half of the second chapter of the second book of the Bible. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and this is a passage, I think, primarily about God remembering, God remembering a covenant. Um, and sorry, a couple um, housekeeping things. There are Bibles in the back. We'd love for you to follow along. Um, if you want a Bible, just raise your hand. That can be brought to you. Um, there's also going to be notes available um, for the sermon. It's not going to be word for word because I don't have them in front of me. Um, but uh, it's going to be pretty close. So feel free to not take notes during this time. Um, they'll be on the table in the back and you can pick them up afterwards. There will also be um, a PDF version online uh, where you find the sermons. Um, yeah, so let's jump in. Um, and I, I, I was told recently or learned recently at a conference for speaking that when you, when you speak to people, they usually remember like at most three things about what you said. So I'm going to try to get you guys to remember one thing. So I, <laughs> I think we can do this. Um, God is the hero. Um, he's the hero of today's story. He's the hero of Exodus. Um, he is the hero of scripture in general. Um, I think one of the things that is good to realize about Exodus is that this is a, this is a pivotal moment in Israel's history. Like when God wanted to remember, wanted his people to remember that he was the hero, he pointed back to Exodus. Um, you see that again and again in the Psalms. You see that again and again in the prophets. He's like, remember what I did for you back in Exodus. Um, and that was kind of the, his validation of himself as a hero to the people of Israel. Um, and then finally, I want to consider us, our, like our own lives, is God our hero? Um, yeah. Is that what people see when they look at us? Is that what we see when we look at us? Um, and to understand what's going on in Exodus, you've got to go back to Genesis. Um, and kind of look at some of the formation of the people of Israel. Um, it started with Abram, um, who was later named Abraham by God. He was called out of um, a land that was near Babylonia and brought into Canaan. Um, he later had a son named Isaac, who went on to have a son named Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel, which is where the nation gets its name. And he had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, at the end of Jacob's life, he and his family moved to Egypt to avoid a famine. Um, and then they spent some time in this slavery. Um, scripture tells us close to 400 years. Um, and then we get to Moses. That's kind of where Exodus starts. You know, we skip this 400 years in between Genesis and Moses. And there was, you know, a lot of struggles in that time. Um, so the people of Israel started with a covenant. Um, and this covenant was made with Abraham. Um, and it had three components to it. Does anyone, can anyone help me out with some of these components? Um, they're kind of reiterated again and again in scripture, so hopefully we can get a few of them. 
Take a risk. Sam? Descendants. Yeah. Land. Yeah, so those are the big ones that we remember, right? Um, and then we see this in um, Genesis actually 15. Um, but the, the covenant actually starts with the promise that the people would get God, God himself. He would be their shield, their hero. Um, the way the ESV reads, you know, after that, kind of a parallel, your reward shall be very great. Well, God is that great reward. You know, the NIV reads, you know, I am your shield, your very great reward, um, which I think captures the idea a little bit better. God was promising Israel, primarily himself. And as frosting on top of that, you know, Abraham got to have offspring. You know, this kind of famous promise where he takes them out and he, you know, says, look at the stars. You know, if you are able to count them, so shall your offspring be. And Eric kind of alluded to this in the first chapter of Exodus. We kind of get to see this multiplication happening. Um, so much so that the, the Pharaoh um, was beginning to get afraid of how many people there were. That they would one day overwhelm him. Um, and then that he'll get the land. And the land is, you know, in Canaan, it's roughly where modern-day Israel is today. Um, but that is the background. Um, and right after this, God promises something. He makes, he delivers a prophecy. Um, and he says, you know, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So this, I mean, this is before Abraham ever had a son, whoever had a son, whoever had 12 sons, who were ever in Egypt. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> this is happening in well over 100 years before anyone could have had any idea they would be in Egypt. Um, and not only does he promise that they're going to have this time of slavery, but that he's also promising that, you know, he will bring judgment and he will bring them out of that, that nation. Um, and we know now that nation was Egypt. Um, but I, I just, I put that up there because sometimes I, I blow over passages like that um, and forget how amazing prophecy in scripture actually is. Um, that God was, God was telling this, you know, probably a couple hundred years before it happened. And, and then, you know, another 400 years before Israel actually got out. So like 600 years before Moses, God is saying, Moses is coming. So that, that's kind of God letting people know that he will be their hero. And now we get to see the beginning of that, um, God remembering that covenant that he had made. Um, so last week, Eric talked about kind of how Moses got delivered out of this Pharaoh's plan to kill all the baby boys in Egypt. He was put in a basket by the river. He was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and was brought into um, the very house of the man that was trying to kill him. Um, and so today we open up 40 years later, um, and we, you know, so another big jump in scripture. And it just says, one day when Moses had grown up. Um, we know it's 40 years because later in, in Acts, Stephen preaches on this topic as well. And he go, walks through Moses' life um, in Acts 7 and you know, lets us know he was 40 years old. You know, at this point, he's royalty. Um, he has received the best education that the world can offer. He is in the wealthiest family of the world. Um, and, you know, Stephen also refers to him as being powerful in speech and action. Um, and so, 
I don't know how you guys feel about that movie, Exodus of God and Men. I haven't actually watched it, but there was really great pictures online. So, um, But I, th- I think this kind of captures the idea. Like Moses, Moses was in an amazing position, right? Like if we, were going to, if we were going to look at Israel and say, how can we save Israel? Um, well, it would be helpful to have somebody at the top, somebody who knew what they were doing, you know, who... You know, could talk real good, and people, like, respected him. Um, And that's exactly what Moses was. You know, it was a miracle that God had put him there. Um, And I I think we would have all thought, well, that's that's where, you know, the story starts and ends. Like, um, you know, history's a little unclear about, like, where Moses was in the line of like rulers like if he would have been the next ruler or if he was just you know one of several princes um oftentimes in the movies he's portrayed opposite another person that he's vying for the throne um and that may have actually been true um but uh yeah he was in a you know if he had taken the throne it would have been really easy to save his people you know even without that he could have influenced laws um he could have you know organized either a bunch of slaves to escape or a slave revolt. Like this was, he was in a good spot. Um, Moses thought so too. Um, again, we go back to kind of Stephen's, Stephen gives a lot of insight into this passage, which I think is cool. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see that in just a second. But uh, so, there we go. So he goes out and he kind of wants to see what's going on with his people. He sees an Egyptian um, beating a Hebrew slave, which was probably a common occurrence. And he thinks there's no one around. um, So he kills the Egyptian. Um, And in Acts 7.25, we kind of get a a picture into his mindset. You know, Stephen tells us that he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. That... You know, Moses thought, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to save this Israelite, and people are going to know that I am the leader and that people will follow me. Um, So the very next day, he wants to build on his, you know, his great showing um, of strength. And so he now sees two Hebrews that are arguing, and he wants to settle their argument. He wants to stop the one from hurting the other. He wants to move from kind of this you know, this defender of the people to more of a judge position among the people. He's moving pretty fast. Um, But he's Moses. So he gets a reaction that I don't think he expected at all. Um, You know, the the Hebrew, basically, who's beating the other one, says, you know, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Well, Moses probably thought that was obvious. It was either God or it was the fact that he was, you know, you know, royalty. Um, but for whatever reason, this other Hebrew didn't get it. And so he then realizes that this word, the word has gotten out. And it's not, they weren't hiding it. They weren't going to protect him, the Israelites. And so it gets out. It gets back to Pharaoh. And then, you know, within, when Pharaoh hears about it, he seeks to kill Moses Moses flees from Pharaoh, and he stays in the land of Midian. So Midian wasn't a land per se. It was kind of this area where Midianites roamed, which is kind of in the north desert to the north, 
of the peninsula of Sinai, but west of Egypt. Um, but, I mean, so in a, in a matter of two days, Moses goes from being, like, possibly next in line to the throne to a nomad in the desert, like, hunted, you know, fearing for his life. Which is pretty drastic change. You know, he went from this, from a likely hero to a very, like, a nearly impossible one. Um, and so he, he finds this family of the priest of Midian. Um, the Midianites at that time were polytheistic. They, you know, they, dis- they actually were descendants from Abraham as well. Um, but they had taken on other gods from the surrounding nations. Um, so he was not a priest of God. He was, you know, worshipped these various gods. He had seven daughters. And they were, they were shepherdesses. Um, and they were taking their flock to the water, but the male shepherds around wanted to, wanted to use the water first, and so they kind of beat them off. And Moses once again steps in and tries to save somebody. Um, this time, more successful. Um, yeah, he, he beats off ever, however many other shepherds and allows um, this priest's daughters to... To get to the water, they get out of there in record time, and um, uh, skip. Um, and he is invited into the the home of this priest. Um, let's see. Sorry, I skipped way ahead on that one. Um, so this priest ends up giving him one of his daughters in marriage. He has a son, and he names the son. Um, Gershom, um, which isn't as important as the meaning of it, um, which is, you know, a sojourner, essentially. Gershom sounds like the Hebrew word for sojourner, which is someone who is kind of passing through. They're living as a stranger in a land. And in part, I think this is probably referring to this idea that Moses was looking towards this physical promised land. Um, But Moses was also looking towards a heavenly promised land. Um, we know that from the writer of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11. Um, and this kind of this sojourner mentality was a common point to great men and women of faith. Um, this idea that this is not our home, that we are living for another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. Um, that one's kind of for free. It's not the main point of the passage. But I think it's as you, you read the New Testament and it pulls you back to passages like this, it's good to remember them. Um, all right, so now, back to Christian Bale. Now he is a sh- so he, now he is a shepherd in the desert, kind of wandering around. Um, and now is he perfectly positioned? You know, he no longer is considered royalty. He's hunted. He has no contact with God's people. You know, everything that he leaned on before his education. You know, his uh, you know ability to speak um, it's gone I think if I was God's people and if I was Moses I would have been asking a lot of questions Um, and he stayed here for 40 years Um, that's just a long time to wait for God I think I'd probably get impatient after a week or two 
but he had to sit there for 40 years. And I, you know, as we, as we read about Abraham and Isaac and all these great patriarchs, I think it's pay attention to the times in between promises and fulfillments. Um, so it's usually not weeks, not months, it's usually years and often decades. Um, and so I think, you know, we, as we're going through life, need to realize that we could be a little more patient. We could wait on God a little bit longer um, before we, you know, throw in our chips. Um, so then, I th- I th- as a kind of a reminder, I think he is perfectly positioned now. And I think that his position um, just reminds us of God's kind of other, otherworldly kingdom values. Um, he uses weak things to shame the strong. And the reason he does that is because he doesn't want the person to get the credit. Um, he doesn't want Moses to get the credit. You know, even though he had positioned Moses perfectly in the world's eyes to help Israel, he wanted to take him back down and say, no, nope, I can do this twice. Um, yeah, so I, I just, I think... You know, what we're seeing in Moses' life, although, it, I mean, it's baffling that, you know, he would have to go through this up and down twice. Um, it's also a reminder that, that God is completely in control and that God, you know, loves to remind us of that. And he loves us. He loves to use us at our weakest moments. Um, and so passage continues. Um, and we see God kind of enter for, you know, one of the first times. I think we get a little mention in the end of chapter 1 about how God favored the, um, the midwives who had been helping. Um, but this is the first time that we really see God. Um, yeah, God listening, God remembering, God, you know, seeing the plight of the people. Um, you know, so the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Um, I think that's a good reminder for us to groan and to cry out for help. Um, and God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Um, it's a covenant that we talked about earlier, the covenant to, to be their shield, to be their protector, and to be their reward, to give them descendants, and to give them a land for themselves. So our, the passage um, ends with this kind of hopeful look forward. You know, you get the sense that the stage is set. God is about to do something, you know, huge in the, the lives of his people. Um, he's, he's about to give them a savior. Um, a savior who is in many ways a typecast or a reminder, a foreshadowing of another savior. Um, you know, more than probably about 12 to 1500 years after this, Jesus was born. Um, you know, he also escaped a massacre as a child that was brought on by a king who wanted, you know, <clears throat> to secure his kingdom. Um, he actually escaped to Egypt and then returned once that king had died, um, which we see that again. Another king is dying. Moses is about to return. Um, and he brings a new covenant. But unlike, unlike the, the covenant that we'll see Moses bring, one that's, you know, brought on or built on kind of the sacrificial system of animals um, and sacrificing animals' blood as a payment for sin, Jesus brought a 
a covenant that was sealed in his own blood. Um, and at the end of the service, we'll remember that with communion. Um, and this, this, his blood was actually able to pay for our sins. He was able to give us an offer of hope and new life in him that Moses wasn't able to offer. Um, and uh, so I think, you know, right now we're, we're in the building stage of Israel. You know, we're in this very formative stage in their history. And it's a history that, you know, gets retold and retold and retold until Christ fulfills it. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, so the point of this passage is that God in, in the life of Israel is about to, is about to step in. He's been there, but he's about to become a very visible presence. Um, and it's a reminder that he, want, he not only wanted to be Israel's hero, but he wants to be our hero. And we get to see that, I think, most clearly in the person of Christ. Um, but I wonder sometimes if he is our hero, if he's my hero. Um, and I, I think you can look at this two ways. Um, you know, when others look at you, when others listen to you talk about your life or what you're doing with Mac or what you, you know, why you're in the city or, you know, why, if you grew up in the city, why you're staying in the city, like, do they see, do they see God? Does your, does your story speak of God? Or do you speak of, you know, your concern for people, your concern for people, um, you know, of how you wanted to use your gifts for people? You know, how um, you thought you could give back something to the community that gave something to you. Um, I think that's one way to look at it. I think there's another way, more introspective, like, what what do you, when you're groaning or (laughs) desiring some freedom, what are you looking to? Do your prayers go to God or do they go to the police station? Or do they go... Uh, you know, a letter to your congressman, or um, do you, are, or do they go to an application to a school? You know, or where where are you building your security in? Um, none of those things are wrong, by the way. <laughs> um, they're not bad, um, but it, they are they become bad if they're your point of security. If they're what you look at and say, I think I can do this because. You know, I went to a great university, or I have a great job, I have lots of money, I have a a big family who can also help with this, Um, or I know a bunch of really cool people at this really cool church, and we can all just do it. Um, And I I think, you know, Moses' story is um, is a caution to the affluent in particular. Um. And I mean, I'm I'm one of the, one of that those people. I'm affluent. Um, I came from a you know a middle class family. I was able to get a good education. Um, went to medical school. I now work as a doctor. Um, and there is a danger for me when I you know I, I moved here eight years ago, as we talked about. But there's danger for me as I look around, say, all right, like the world tells me that you know I'm I've got this pedigree. Therefore, I should be able to accomplish certain things in the world around me. Um, people should listen to me because of all this. Um, there's also a danger to, um, I think, 
our body in particular, um, people who like to help other people. Um, you know, our vision statement talks about seeking this spiritual and physical transformation. And one of those you cannot do anything about. One of those you can do a lot of things about. And you can do nothing about the state of someone's soul. You can, you can preach the gospel to them, but that by itself is nothing. God has to, has to make that seed grow. Um, but you can do a lot about physical circumstances. And, you know, you can start nonprofits. You could start a, a company that redevelops housing if you want to. Um, you can, you, you know, you can organize great outreaches. You can do all these things. And that, that changed the face of what's going on. Um, not, I mean, it, it, you know, the houses look better. The, you know, the ones that need to be boarded up are boarded up. The, you know, the overgrown lawns are taken care of. You know, it starts to look on the other side of Mac a lot more like Indian Village or like across Altar. Like the grass becomes greener all of a sudden and everybody looks a little bit healthier, nicer. Um, and so there's a danger for us to gravitate towards those things because those are the things that we can do something about. And we don't have to wait on God for that. We don't have to be patient for God to provide any growth in that. Um, and so I, I just wanted to bring those to your attention. It's two cautions. You know, if you are coming from a situation where you have a pedigree that you lean on, whether it's your family name or your education or your money or whatever, beware. That can be a stumbling block to you. Um, and if God chooses to strip you of that, thank him for that. And then the second caution is just, I think, more generally for all of us, whether we you know, have resources or not, whether we come from strong families or not strong families, that you know, we need to be seeking and asking God for the spiritual transformation of the city around us and not just working for. <laughs> Almost made it. <laughs> Almost made it through the service. Um, yeah, we need, yeah, we need to be making sure that we hold that, that ideal very strongly because that's the easiest one to go. Um, the spiritual transformation. Um, especially as I think things like Mac development take off and you get to see, you know, you know, million dollar rehabs of buildings. Like that's pretty remarkable in our neighborhood. Um, and we can start to, you know, think that we have the deciding role in what's going on here. And we do not. So please, as you go home this week, think about those kind of those questions. What, what do people see when they look at your life? Who's the hero that other people see? Like, and oftentimes, you need to actually tell them who the hero is. All the time, you need to tell them. <laughs> because if you're just doing it, they're just going to see you. Um, so, yeah, so I would encourage you to point yourself to Christ. Point other people to Christ. Um, I think there's a great passage in Hebrews, um, that kind of follows up this discussion of Abraham and Moses and all these other great men and women of faith. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these great men and women of faith, 
such as Moses. Let us also lay aside every weight, not just sin, but every weight, every distraction, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, yeah, that is a picture of Christ on the cross. And he is your hero if you are a Christian. And you need to be vocal about that. And you need to be reminding yourself about that. Um, Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness in our life, Lord, for the ways that you provide for us physically, Lord, for the ways that you have provided for us spiritually, Lord, for giving us hearts of flesh that can beat for you, Lord, and removing our hearts of stone that are enslaved to ourselves. Lord, we pray that we would be vocal about how good you are, Lord, to ourselves, to our kids, to our families, Lord, to our community. Yeah, would you use us to point others to you, Lord? Amen.